Our gospel lesson this morning is going to come from John's gospel, from John chapter 19. I invite you to stand as you're able, in body or in spirit, for the reading of our gospel lesson, John chapter 19, verses 29 through 30. A jar full of sour wine was standing there. So they put a sponge of the wine on a branch of hyssop and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the wine, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I was raised um, with a certain uh, mentality that once you start something, you see it through. Once you've made a commitment to something, you don't quit, you don't back out, you don't back up. You, if you've committed to do something, then, then you see it all the way through. Frankly, even if you're miserable, <laughs> even, if, even if you're not good at it, like um, if you saw, I had, I, had two, I had two things I did when I was young that I really, really wanted to do, and I wanted to be really good at it, and I was not good at it, and I hated it. I wanted to be, I, I, I love baseball. I think the older I get, the more I love baseball. The older and slower of mind and body I get, the more I love baseball. Baseball, you can watch baseball and take a nap while you're watching it. It's the best. Anything that you can take a nap at while you're doing it, oh, that, that's speaking my love language. So I wanted to be a baseball player. So I signed up to play baseball when I was little, and I was terrible at it. You're talking about a guy who wanted to be Will Clark, wanted to have that swing, that beautiful swing that he had. I wanted to be a baseball player so bad, and I was so bad at it that I wanted to quit. My mama said, no, you have to finish out the year. Now, you don't have to play again next year if you don't want to, but you're not quitting the season. Likewise, you're going to laugh at this one. Tim likes this one. I wanted to sing when I was younger. I have the voice of an angel, fallen angel. The devil's an angel as well, technically. So I signed up to take singing lessons from this sweet little old lady off of Highway 98 there in Macomb. And I went to it, and I was bad, and I knew it, and she knew I was bad. And it'd probably been less painful for both of us if we'd quit. But nope. Mom and Daddy said, you signed up to do it. You're going to finish. You don't have to do it again next year. But you're going to see through this commitment you made. So I'm a big, I'm a huge believer in seeing through your commitments and getting stuff done. By the way, that's why I think we should be very judicious in the commitments we make. If you commit to something, see it through. Don't half-hearted, don't halfway commit to something. If you don't want to do it, that's fine. That's okay. You don't have to do everything in the world. In fact, you shouldn't do everything in the world. But if you commit to something, finish it off. See it through. See it's the commitment. I love, I love, I love to check things off the to-do list. First thing, I, first thing I do, in fact, I brought my little book with me. I got a little book here. First thing, when I sit at my desk on, on a morning, I sit down, I go to the date that I've already written down, and I've already got stuff on my list for tomorrow. Stuff I got to make sure that I do before I leave tomorrow. I, you can go back and see some days if I don't get it done, I'll carry it over to the next day. I love, I love the sweet, sweet feeling of checking stuff off my to-do list. See, y'all, sometimes I'll go back and write things that I did down on the to-do list just to check them off. 
I, I, I love me a to-do list, man. I love seeing it through. I, lo- I love seeing I guess because it's the way I was raised, you see it through. You see it all the way through. You, you finish it out. Today we see Jesus in this series say something significant. He says, it is finished. It is finished. That's a, that's a very significant statement that Jesus makes there. But what is he talking about? What is he talking about there when he says the it? What is the it that is finished? But first, before we get to that, I want to just do a real quick explanation of something very interesting that happens in the first part of it. That whole bit with the sour wine, the sponge, and the hyssop. Okay, a couple things there that's interesting. First, that is a, as we talked last week, that's the fulfillment of Scripture. You go back to Psalm 69. Psalm 69 talks of these things. So that, that's a reference to Psalm 69. That's one thing. And the hyssop, of course, is very important uh, in Jewish tradition for cleansing and for purification. Uh, psalm 51, David's great psalm of confession of sin, talks about the hyssop and the purity that comes from being washed with hyssop. So that, that, that signifies completion of Scripture and, and the purification that comes from sin. But, but the sponge thing, the sponge thing always confused me. I don't know if you're like me. You're like, where do you get the sponge from? What's that about? Is there just like a pile of sponges sitting around everywhere in Israel? Why does this guy got a sponge? You know, what, what, what's that got to do with anything? I've all, that always bothered me. That always just really confused me when I read this passage. Why has he got a sponge? So one of my last trips to Israel, I was... Um, Walking uh, on a on a um, a part of um, uh, excavation site with a Sam Morris before he had passed away, and I was he, we were walking at at a, at a gymnasium, an old Roman gymnasium with the with the hot water and the cold water it talks about in Revelation and the Luke water and all that. We we're talking about uh, talking about this, and uh, and he talked about he explained why they had a sponge, why certain. Certain um, classifications of Romans would have had a sponge with them at all times, or usually on their person at most all times. It was a very, it was a, a higher class and a Roman type thing. Uh, I apologize for where this is going to go, but there's really no way to talk about it other than this. Um, you know how in certain cultures it's considered impolite or, or tacky to shake someone's left hand? Because, you know, in America, we have an abundance of indoor plumbing and toilet paper. In other cultures, they do not have an abundance of indoor plumbing and toilet paper. So you use your left hand to... I'll I'll stop talking and let your mind fill in the blanks there. Because my mama raised me better than that. Well, in the Roman culture, they did not use their left hand for that task. They used a sponge. That's why there was a sponge there. Within Roman culture, that was very common. Let us be very mindful of every act of humiliation and of shame that our Lord went through. Let us not ever take for granted every abuse, physical, mental, and spiritual that our Lord suffered for our redemption and for our freedom. That's what the sponge business is about. So it is finished. It, the Gospel of John is, is interesting. Um, John, John is a, a book that 
John likes sections. Like he he writes he writes in in sections. Like there are, there are, there are long passages within John that are one of one overarching story. So Jesus starts something in John thirteen. In John 13, he starts his teaching going towards the cross with his disciples. And he says there, in John 13, at one point he says, he, I've loved you till the end. You who are mine, I have loved you till the end. So John, John has Jesus beginning this teaching discourse in John 13, and it finishes all the way through to this scene right here. Because Jesus here is saying, it is finished. And the word there is in the Greek is referencing back to the beginning of John 13. Jesus there right here is saying that the teaching that began on, in John 13 has now been brought to completion in this moment. It is finished. In other words, his teaching that began going to the cross has been finished in this moment. So what did he teach about from John 13 forward? He taught about he gave communion. He washed feet. He said, this new command that I have for you, that you are to love one another, I've loved you. John 14, his teaching upon eternity. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and be a prayer place for you? He has that teaching in John 14. John 15, I am, the, I am the vine, you are the branches. John 17, his great high priestly prayer. Then John 18 and 19 is the, is, is the cross. And he is even teaching on the cross. He is showing us in John 13 through John 19 everything that went into place for not only our redemption, but everything that went into place for what the Christian life should look like. The dedication, the suffering, the love, the grace. This whole, Jesus' whole life was an act of teaching of God's way, God's truth, God's hope, God's purpose. John is saying in this moment, Jesus is saying, it is finished. In other words, you have seen in my life everything you need to know about the path of God. We cannot say that we do not know the path that God wants us to walk. It's laid out for us in Scripture. It's laid out for us in Jesus. Now, we can say, I think it was Chesterton that said, Christianity has, not been, Christianity has not been tested and found wanting. Christianity has been tested and found to be hard. We, we know the path Jesus wants us to walk. It's laid out in Scripture. We just don't always want to walk it. Like I said, I'm not, I am not in favor of this forgiving your enemies business. I don't like it. I don't want to forgive my enemies. I want to hate my enemies. I mean, they're my enemies. Why should I like them? If they were my, weren't my enemies, they'd be my friends. But as we've stated, they're not my friends. They're my enemies. I don't like them. So I don't want to love them. Jesus doesn't give me a choice. He says, love them. Because if I hate them, it'll kill me. Jesus, his whole life is teaching so we see him on one hand saying, when it is finished, he's saying, I have, I have shown you the will and the way of the Father. That's part of what this means here. But that's, that's not the totality of it. Betty did a wonderful job this morning talking about this in the children's moment. The, the, just like John is sometimes best to be read kind of in that long view, the Bible, the Bible is always to be read from the large picture, overarching narrative perspective. The Bible is this. 
Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, God creates humanity and creates everything, and it is good. Genesis 3, we mess up. And then from Genesis 3 all the way through Revelation 22 is God's plan to bring us back home. It is God's plan to redeem and restore what sin has caused. God's plan to restore humanity, but also even restore creation. God, all the Bible from Genesis 3 onward is about God's plan of redemption, beginning with covenant with, with Noah, with Abraham, with Moses, with the prophets, and then finally with Jesus and the new covenant of grace and faith that is brought into completion in Revelation when all is restored and returned. The, all, uh, all of the Bible is God's plan to redeem and to restore what, God, what sin has taken. That's the Bible, is God's plan of redemption. Well, you know, for us to be redeemed, something has to be done about it. If I've made a mistake, if I've harmed our friendship, if I've with sin, sin must be redeemed and sin must be restored. And that is the purpose of the cross. On the cross, Jesus Christ atoned for or made right Everything that sin had done. When Jesus Christ is saying it is finished, he is saying the redemptive work of God on the cross is done. On the cross, sin is atoned for. On the cross, we are forgiven. The work of God to purchase our salvation is done on the cross. It is finished. The work of God to redeem humanity is finished. Humanity is atoned for. Humanity is forgiven. We have to accept it. But that work of God is done. Now, the empty grave is to destroy the works of the devil and destroy death. The cross atones for our sin. The empty grave restores our life and defeats the devil. It is finished. The redemptive work of God to purchase our salvation is done. It is finished. Cool. Cool, 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 cool. But here's the thing. Let's say I was to inject all of you with truth serum right now, which I'm not going to do because I'm sure that would violate a bunch of laws. It would be kind of cool to see what happened, but uh, I'm not going to do it. But I've injected all y'all with truth serum. I ask you this question. Do you think you need to be doing more in your faith, to make, God, to, to make things right. And if I'm going to inject you with the truth serum, you're probably going to say, yeah. There's more I need to be doing in my faith. Here's the thing, y'all. The Bible says this. We are saved by grace through faith, lest no one can boast. We're not saved by our actions. We're not. We're not saved by our actions. We're not saved by anything we do. We're saved by what God has done. We don't save ourselves. God saves us. We know that intellectually. We do know. Intellectually, we know that. that so being saved by grace through faith, that's the foundation of the church. Like, duh, we all know that. Sure. But deep down in our hearts, because of sin, because of failure, because of what we've not done, most of us deep down in our hearts think this. 
Yeah, but there's more I got to do. I'm not doing enough. I'm not doing enough. And, and, and if, if I read my Bible more, I know God will love me. And, and if I tithe more, I know that God will love me. If I come to church more, I know that God will love me. And if I do these things here that I'm currently not doing, or if I do them better, or if I do them more faithfully, then I know that God will love me. And y'all, let me be very clear. That's not true. You cannot make God love you. And if you spend your life trying to make God love you, you will feel like a failure. You know why? You can't make God love you because he already does. If you're saying, I want to be very clear, I need to hear me on this, y'all. You need to hear me on this and internalize this. If they're saying there is one thing that you have to do to make God love you, you're saying the cross was not enough. If you're saying there's one thing you have to do to make God love you, you're saying the cross was not enough. It's not you plus Jesus equals salvation. It's Jesus equals salvation. Our life is not to be lived in an effort to make God love us. Our life is to be lived as a response to God's love. If we live our life in an effort to make God love us, we will perpetually be frustrated and sad and feel disempowered in our faith because we're going to mess up, because we're sinful, because we're human. Welcome to the human race. If you could save yourself and do it yourself, Christ came for nothing. You can't do it. That's why Jesus came. If you live your life trying to atone for your own sins, if you live your life trying to make God love you, if you live your life trying to make it perfect, you will fail. You can't do it. That's what Jesus did. You be you. Let him be Jesus. It is finished. The work of God is finished on the cross, and there's nothing you, me, or anyone needs to add to it. It is done. It is finished. Our life is not lived in effect in an effort to make God love us. Our life is to be lived as a response to God's love. I don't read my Bible to make God love me. I read my Bible because God loves me, because I want to know him better. I don't tithe to make God love me. I tithe because God loves me, and I want to be faithful to what God's given me. I don't come to church to make God love me. I come to church because because God loves me. I don't live my life to make God do anything. I live my life as a response to God's love. You are loved. You have been atoned for. The work of Christ has been done. The blood of Christ has been shed for your sake. Forgiveness has been offered. The work has been done. It is finished. We just got to accept it. (laughs) That's our response. Our response is not to make it happen. Our response is to accept what has been done for us. That's why it's called grace, y'all. It's not something we earn. 
something we receive. God doesn't love you because you're perfect. He loves you because he is perfect. God is not faithful to you because you are faithful. God is faithful to you because he is faithful. This is not love that I love God. It's love that God loves me. When we understand the work of God upon the cross and understand what he has done for our life, our life becomes beautiful because then it's not a Sisyphean effort to make God love us, but it is a life lived in response to the overwhelming, amazing, all-encompassing, life-changing love of God that we see through Christ Jesus. In just a moment, you're going to hear these words. On the night when he was betrayed, he took bread and broke it. He gave it to his disciples and said, take heed. This is my body, broken for you. Took the cup, blessed it, and said, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink of it. Remember to me. His body and his blood broken for me and for you so that we can know forgiveness. Today, friends, you have been atoned for. Your sin has been paid for. Your mistakes have been washed with the blood of Christ. You are loved and you are free. You just have to accept it. Today, may we live our lives not an effort to make God love us, but may we live our lives as an expression of thanks to our loving God. Let's pray.